Good morning, my beloved family and friends in Christ. It's good to be together again this morning. To our friends, Rick, Susan and Rich visiting with us this morning, I'm Oliver and I welcome you to our service this morning. Pastor Arnold, our regular preacher, is on leave with Effie and friends, so please remember him in prayer as he takes a well-deserved break. In his absence, I will have this privilege of preaching and teaching from the Bible today. We will continue today in our series on the spiritual discipline with the topic of caring for one another. Caring for one another. The purpose of this series is to cover some basic Christian habits and practices that will help us as disciples, to help us grow as disciples. So we will cover some basic spiritual disciplines or means of grace so that we can better place ourselves in a posture and in a position to receive God's grace to us through the means God has given to us. And some of the spiritual disciplines we have covered so far comprise the reading and intake of the Word of God, prayer, Pastor Bobby preached on proclamation and evangelism, and last week, Pastor Arnold preached on giving. The purpose of practicing these disciplines is not so much to gain merit or gain credit before God, but it is for us as disciples to mature, to grow to become more and more like Jesus Christ as we receive God's grace. However, before we get into today's message, because we are people who desperately need God's Spirit to help us understand God's Word, let us pray in the words adapted from an old Scottish hymn. Father God, make your Word live to us. And as we take in your Word, show us yourself clearly, show us who we are really, and show us our deep need for our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. May you make your word live to us, change and renew us, so that we will increasingly grow to become more like Jesus Christ. For Jesus' namesake and for your glory. Amen. Have you had experience of being in a group where the people are aloof? You have been visiting with them for a number of months, and still, the members seem cold and distant. They do not seem to care for you or for one another. Their interaction with you remains superficial. And you get the feeling that they do not quite care enough to know you better. You've recently been experiencing some anxiety over matters that deeply burden you. But you do not expect that you will get any relief from this group. Or have you had the experience of being in another group where some of the people are basically busybodies? You have been busy visiting them for a few weeks and a few of the members seem to want to know everything about you. And I mean everything. Initially, you thought it was care and concern that they were showing. But then, you begin to hear the gossip about what you shared. They are nosy and they start gossips that seem to be instigating a reaction against you. Or the rumours seem to be taking you down. Even if you were experiencing some anxiety over some matters that deeply burden you. 
I'm sure you would not want to share it with anyone from this group. Have you experienced either of these before? Cold and aloof? Busy body and gossipy? Both do not build a culture of care. As Christians in the church, how do we care for one another and yet not be busybodies or be aloof? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 to chapter 6, verse 5, Paul writes to the Galatian Christians that they, having received the Spirit when they trusted in Jesus, they can live by the Spirit expressed by their caring for one another. God's Word exalts Christians, you and me, to live in line with the Spirit that indwells us in caring for one another by bearing one another's burden. Caring for one another by bearing one another's burden is important for us as a church. So how do we do just that? Listen to Paul as he writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 to 6, 5. So if you have your Bibles, being Baptist, I assume you bring your Bibles. Bring your Bi- open up your Bibles. Please follow along with me uh, as I read the following passage. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if any is one is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one has his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. In order for us to better understand this passage on caring for one another, we need to understand the background of Paul's letter to the Galatians, as well as his immediate context. So let's look along with me. But before we do so, do you remember in 1963, the then Prime Minister of Singapore, Lee Kuan Yew, he declared independence for island state of Singapore. And in doing so, Prime Minister Lee notes that declaring Singapore's independence was an assertion of its rights to freedom. And it signified the end of British colonial rule in Singapore. Paul's letter to the Galatians was also a declaration of freedom. A freedom from the condemnation of sin and from religious performance, from a religious performance mindset. No longer are we under the denunciation of sin. No longer are we fooled by the frame of mind that tells us we have to work for our salvation. The letter is about the truth of the gospel, which declares what our gracious God has done in Christ Jesus for sinners. Rescue from sin is all of grace. 
Paul wrote this letter to combat false teachers who were teaching a different gospel that requires Gentile Christians to adopt Jewish works of the law in order to be justified or to be declared righteous before God. Paul writes strongly to defend the sufficiency of the gospel. It is faith in Christ that saves. Any attempt to add to the gospel by human effort becomes a denial of God's grace and causes Christ's death to be pointless. It is faith in Christ plus nothing that saves. And that's the message of the letter to the Galatians. Paul continued, tells us that a Christian life from beginning to end is the result of God's grace and is empowered by the Holy Spirit who indwells us when we repented from our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. We begin our Christian life by grace. And we move on by grace. Salvation and sanctification is by grace. There is nothing a Christian can do to add to what Jesus Christ has done to rescue us from the penalty of sin. Any effort to add to this saving work shows our lack of understanding of the gospel. And get this, and mere human effort will not transform the hearts of us sinners. You see, my friends, the work of eternal heart change comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The work of the Holy Spirit results first in new life and then in us increasingly being conformed to Christ's character. And we see this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, the verses that gives us the immediate context to today's passage. It tells us that the Holy Spirit is given by God at the point of our salvation to indwell and enable us to reflect more closely the moral character of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.24, which precedes today's passage, says, And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Get this, what this means is that Christians, you and I, having been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, are now joined to Jesus and we belong to Him. The Holy Spirit that indwells us renews our hearts so that we begin to have godly desires. Christians with the Holy Spirit in them have crucified the flesh. And the meaning here is different from Galatians 2.20. The verb here is active. This is something done by the Christian. Christians are the put to death, the remaining sinful desires and passions in our hearts, and follow the new spirit-given godly desires in our renewed hearts. Growth in Christ-likeness occur as a result. And this leads to verse 25, where we are told to keep in step with the Spirit. This year is the 50th birthday for Singapore. I'm sure many of you have heard of SG50. I mean, you can't run away from it. It's splattered all over the newspaper. And now if you realize the, the television is now showing uh, songs from SG50 asking us to vote for the best song. Okay? And we know that there's a big celebration that's being planned. This year's National Day Parade promises 
to be a grand one. And you know, as a big part of the parade will be the march pass of the parade contingents. When I was younger, I really loved to see the marching pass of the, the soldiers, the police contingents. But have you ever wondered how the military columns are able to keep such straight lines as they march? Have you thought about that? For those of us who have served in the military, we know there's usually one man who is the left marker for the column. And then what happens is the rest of the men will take their cue from him. The left marker allows the rest of the contingent to follow and to march in line. And this is what Paul means when he says, we are to keep in step with the Spirit. In Galatians 5.25, we are to keep in line, we are to march in line with the Spirit. So let's see Galatians 5.25, where Paul writes, If we live by the Spirit, let us keep, also keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 26, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see, when Paul writes, if, in verse 25, he is asking, if the Galatians do indeed live by the Spirit, and Paul, of course, expects that they will say yes because they have trusted in Jesus Christ by faith and they have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit as part of their experience. This then being the case, Paul calls on them to keep in step with the Spirit. Paul calls on the Christians, Galatian Christians, to live the Christian life the same way they begin it. The phrase, keep in step of the Spirit, as we just talked about, borrows much from military language, and it's the idea of a column of men marching in line with a man designated as a marker. They are to keep in line with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And now the million-dollar question is, now what does this mean? What does it mean to keep in line with the Spirit? Remember the immediate context of this verse? At the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells Christians. We are given a new heart. We are new creation in Christ. The Spirit gives us renewed desires and longings. Paul here calls on Christians to line up, to follow, to keep in step, to obey these new desires, which are the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So Paul here calls Christians to a Spirit-initiated and spirit-powered obedience. He calls Christians to obey, to respond in obedience to the grace of God, through the working of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and lives. Paul, after he makes plain what God has done and is doing for the Christian, calls for their response. Firstly, as we see in verses 25 and 26, in how they should not treat one another. And then in uh, chapter 6, verse 1 to 5, in how they should care for one another. They are firstly not to become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In how you treat one another, you are not to be conceited and proud. Paul forbids pride. And Paul tells us it expresses itself in irritating and inflaming others, so that quarrels and fightings occurs. 
I mean, all of us have seen proud people in our lives. And one of the things that seem to accompany people who are proud is they are often quarrelsome and fighting with others. The King James Version translates conceited as vain glory. Or literally someone who is empty of glory. You see, conceit is the symptom of someone who has a deep insecurity, a perceived absence of honour and glory, a glory vacuum, so to speak, in their hearts. And this leads the person to having a strong need to prove themselves, to prove their worth to others. And this often results in comparing with others. And they will consequently provoke or envy others. Paul here is talking about two different ways in which One person, the conceited person, interacts with others. What is provoking? Provoking is the attitude, the stance of someone who is so sure of his or her superiority. The person is looking down on someone he or she perceives to be weaker. As a result, he or she will be competitive. He or she will want to prove that he or she is actually better. And in doing so, proving his or her own Superiority. But this is different from envying. What is envying? Envying is the posture of someone who is conscious of his or her own inferiority. The person is looking up and being jealous at someone they feel is above them. He or she will often result to gossip, to take down the person they envy. Both the superior and inferior person, though they express themselves differently, are self-absorbed. Though provoking and envying seems like opposites, Paul tells us they are both forms of conceit and pride. They come about when the conceited person tries by his or her own efforts and works to fill the glory vacuum in their hearts. And in doing so, they provoke others. They irritate others. They goad others to anger and frustration. Or they envy others. They are embittered at their success or happiness of others. Why is Paul telling us this? Because if you care, if you are to care for one another, you would keep in step with the Spirit and not fall to conceit. You will not give way to provoking or envying others. The conceited person resorts to working hard to fill this glory vacuum. But the gospel, the gospel Paul is telling us about, the wonderful gospel painted for us in the letter to the Galatians, creates in us a new self-image. It humbles you and me before anyone, telling you and me, telling us that we are sinners saved by grace. But it also gives us bold confidence before everyone else, anyone else. It tells us, it tells you and me, that we are loved and honoured by God. Borrowing the insights from Tim Keller here, we need to apply the gospel when we are tempted to conceive. When you are tempted to feeling inferior and envying someone, you need to say to yourself at that moment, what you think of me is not the important thing. Jesus Christ's approval of me, not yours, is my righteousness, my identity, my worth. My identity is found in Christ. On the other hand, when you feel superior 
and are tempted to provoke another. You need to say to yourself, what I think of myself is not the important thing. I am just as much a sinner and just as undeserving of Christ's love for me as this person. Only by applying the gospel you can you combat conceit and be truly able to care for one another. Recently I watched The Hobbit. It's the, it has just completed the three movie run. I think the last one was the Battle of the Five Armies and the, the young people and myself as we were watching were trying to count what, who were the, actually the five armies. Okay? And if those of us who actually follow this whole thing, we know that The Hobbit is the prequel to The Lord of the Rings shown some years back. And one memorable scene occurs in the third movie, The Return of the King. If you remember, the backdrop is Mordor in the shadows of Mount Doom. Here we come across two hobbits, Sam and Frodo, near the end of the quest. Okay? And, and their quest was basically to just throw the one, wing, one ring into the volcano that is Mount Doom. And in that scene, Sam asks, do you remember the Shire, Mr. Frodo? Okay, I'm trying to pretend a Scottish accent. It'll be spring soon, and the orchids will be in bloom, and the eating of the first strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of strawberries? And Frodo, the hero of the story, replies, No, Sam, I can't recall the taste of food, nor the sound of water, nor the touch of grass. I am naked in the dark. There is nothing no veil between me and the veil, wheel of fire. I can see him with my waking eyes. To which Sam responds, Then let us be rid of it, meaning the one ring. Once and for all, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. Come on. In that scene, Sam shares the burden of the one ring, which Frodo on his own, it's too much for Frodo. Frodo can't carry on his own. And he bears Frodo's burden. And he goes on to carry Frodo on his back. And they proceeded their way up the side of Mount Doom. Paul here in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 5, calls on Christians to bear one another's burden. We read in Galatians 6, 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And his reason to boast will be him in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The caring of one another, expressing love as Christ loved us, may not lead to some heroic, spectacular deed or self-sacrifice that we've seen in the movie, but to much more mundane, boring, unspectacular ministry, or apparently boring, a unspectacular ministry of burden-bearing. And this is what Paul tells us here. Caring for one another can mean being called to the ministry of burden-bearing. Paul tells us how we can care for one another 
in verses 2 to 5. And he gives us a specific example of burden bearing in verse 1. We'll look at verses 2 to 5 first and then come back to verse 1. Verse 2 gives us a command. We are to bear another's burden. Here the word burden means a load. A load that is too big for one person to carry. So Paul is telling Christians that we should come alongside one another to share the burden of an or load of something that is too big for a single person to carry. What this tells us is the reality of burdens. All of us will face burdens at one point in our life or another. And in light of verse 1, these burdens could refer to helping and sustaining others when they sin. However, the command is stated broadly, and it seems unlikely that it should be limited only to the issue or matter of sin. Paul is telling us all Christians at some point will face a variety of burdens that cannot be equated to sin. Things such as persecution, financial difficulties, sickness, or the like. And this encouragement, this exaltation, gives you and me, gives us a wide-ranging call to help in the struggles of other Christians. And remember that one of the ways when God helps us to bear these burdens is through human friends. And when we care for others, Paul tells us we fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ here is equivalent to the law of love in Galatians 5.13-14. We also remember Jesus telling His disciples in John 15.12, John 15.12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So that when Christians carry the burdens of others, you behave as Christ did and fulfill His law. Christ's life and death also become the example and explanation of what it means to care and love for one another. Paul next addresses those who are proud in verse 3. They are warned against being self-deluded and thinking that they are something. Paul again ties the discussion back to Galatians 5.26. To those who are conceited and proud, he tells us that these people are absorbed with themselves. They are not caring for others. What actually happens when you let this conceit take hold of your heart? Basically, it cuts you off from involvement in the life of others. But conceit is also deceitful. For those who are proud are most impressed with themselves when in actual fact, they are nothing. And those who help others struggle help others in their struggles and burden-bearing must be extra cautious. They must be conscious of their own sins and will not, and thereby not fall prey to the lie that they are part of the spiritual elite, impressed and prideful of their own knowledge and maturity. On one hand, Christians who are keeping in step the Spirit will show care for others by burden-bearing. What it means to follow the Spirit then is to live in community with others, to love and care for the need of others. But on the other hand, Christians are also responsible before God individually for their own lives. Paul tells Christians in verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. 
And you know, if you are a careful reader of these few verses, at first glance, Paul seems to contradict himself. Paul, what are you saying here? You seem to contradict what you just said in verse 2. But when we understand the word load, the word load here refers to a backpack or knapsack that one person carries. We see that Paul is referring to the responsibility of the individual. The Christian is told that let each one test his own work. Paul calls on Christians to assess and examine their lives carefully. You are not to deceive yourself by overestimating what you have accomplished. And if you're in your own self-examination, it accords with what is actually real, then you can boast with reference to themselves, to yourselves. Again, on first reading, this again seems very strange. Paul told us not to be conceited. And then now he's telling us to boast. If we read carefully, we see that first four is directed to the future. And it probably refers to the final judgment on the day when the Lord assesses each person's work. Therefore, the boasting commanded here does not relate to this life, but in the life to, of the age to come. And in that day, all vain and conceited boasting will disappear. There will only be boasting in the Lord. Christians will only be able to praise God for the work He has done in their own lives. And they will not be able to claim, claim any credit for what God has accomplished in others. And then we see in verse 5, it forms the basis for verse 4. And we see again, the future, future tense here, will bear. This again tells us this is future directed. So what Paul is saying is that even though we are to help and bear each other's burdens, we finally carry our own load in this life. In other words, in the last judgment, we are ultimately responsible for our own actions and behaviours. Paul tells us that Christians are to care and support one another with the burdens of life. And yet at the same time, you and I must recognise that we stand alone before God on the day of judgment. And we will not be judged with relation to what others have done, but what we ourselves have accomplished. Going back to verse 1, we see Paul giving a specific example of burden-bearing. Here he specifically refers to those struggling with sin. And we are to gently restore those who are tripped up in sin. Instead of being conceited, of saying, nah, you are in sin, I'm better than you. Christians should exercise care and love for others so that their goal is to build one another up. Paul encourages us to restore those who have fallen into sin. The word restore here has the idea of mending a broken bone. A restoration to spiritual health and vitality is in view here. And we are to restore one who is caught in any transgression. It means those who are detected in sin by others. But it also means that the one who has been overtaken by sin in surprise. Those who commit such transgressions are not just unwilling victims. They still bear full responsibility for their sins. Still, Paul tells us there are situations which Christians sin in unplanned and unexpected ways. And hence, the need for restoration. What Paul describes is generally in line with the first step of church discipline 
described in Matthew 18, verse 15 to 20. And the spiritual here does not mean an elite, super elite group of Christians, but rather any Christian who are keeping in step with the Spirit. They are to re-establish those who have fallen. This means ordinary Christians like you and me. Furthermore, we are to restore our fallen brothers gently and meekly, treating the person with dignity as with gentleness described in the fruit of the Spirit. The one who truly loves others and is keeping in step with the Spirit will approach fallen Christians with firmness since they have sinned, mingled with humility so that they are treated gently. Paul tells us what this humility involves. You do not focus on the sin of others provoking or discouraging them because they have fallen. Instead, we are to restore the fallen. Those of us who are to to restore the fallen ought to remain humble because we remember our own fallibility and tendency to sin. We should realize that we too may be tempted and fall. Today, you are restoring the one who have sinned. But tomorrow, you yourself may need restoration. So what? How then should you care for one another? How then should you care for one another? Borrowing from Pastor and Theologian Thomas Schreiner's insight, we can respond in the following two ways. Firstly, by caring for one another in humility. Caring for one another in humility. Instead of being self-absorbed, we are called to care for others. What does it mean to live in the church of Jesus Christ is to help others as they face the difficulties of life. How can you help other Christians financially? Who in the church is lonely and needs a visit? Who needs to be counseled and strengthened? Who is sick and in need of assistance? And this call goes out to all of us, all of us Christians. Are you willing to care for others? And in our Asian context, where sometimes we want to keep our face, where we think it's shameful to admit our needs, are you willing to ask for help? Are you willing to show someone else or to allow someone else to care for you and to bear your burdens? And secondly, by balancing community and individual responsibilities. Balancing community and individual responsibilities. A balance exists between community and individual responsibility. Those who desperately need help from others. You know, it happens. Someone who really needs help, they identify themselves as victims. You know, I'm a victim of uh, my family background, I'm a victim of society, I'm a victim of others who seem to be out to get me. Those who desperately need help from others, they may identify themselves as victims and they actually refuse to be held accountable for their own behavior. We are all accountable for our own responses and actions. In other words, the Lord will judge us individually for what we have done as Christians. 
And sometimes as Asians, we are often fearful to go up against the consensus of our group and community. So we conform. But all of us are responsible for our own decisions and actions before God. And we must live our lives with the knowledge that we will be judged on the final day for what we have done with our lives. That we will bear our own load. As John Stott rightly writes, there is one burden we cannot share. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack and I cannot carry yours. While we are called to care for others by the ministry of burden bearing, we need to remember that only Jesus Christ alone can bear the burden of our sin and guilt. He bore our sins in His own body when He died on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 writes, He, meaning Jesus Christ Himself, bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Jesus Christ is our divine burden bearer. He has borne our biggest burden, our sins. Now we can bear each other's burdens, which is actually light in comparison. And we can care for one another because Christ Himself bore ours. We can bear each other's burden. And by doing this, follow as a disciple in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, who bore your burden and my burden fully and completely on the cross. We see today that Paul writes to the Galatian Christians that they, having received the Spirit when they trusted in Jesus, can live by the Spirit, expressed by the caring for one another. God's Word exalts you to live in line with the Spirit that indwells you in caring for one another by bearing one another's burden. Caring for one another is important for us as a church as we seek to grow as disciples to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What will you do? Will you care? Let us pray. Father God, we confess that we are often conceited. We do not care well for one another. Father God, help our hearts to be tender and guide our actions and behaviours so that we keep in step with your Holy Spirit. Teach us to care for one another, to be involved in the ministry of burden-bearing for one another. We pray this for the good of our church and for the glory of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.